catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Step Back, a new podcast on Fansided. You can find it on all of the podcast platforms. We are going to cover basketball. We're going to do it differently than you find in a lot of other places. We're going to try to do it from an analytical perspective as well as a narrative perspective. We're going to have certain segments that we promote every single week. You're going to get used to them, and we're going to have two teams every single week. We will change them up every week that we're going to deep dive on. I'm Ethan Skolnick. You can follow me at Ethan J. Skolnick and at Five Reason Sports. I've been covering the NBA in some capacity since 1996, which just makes me old. I actually came in the same season that Pat Riley came to the Miami Heat, if that gives you any perspective. I have primarily covered the Miami Heat, but I've covered the rest of the league as well. I did work as a national writer for Bleacher Report for a couple of years. And also, obviously, I've traveled to all of the arenas. I've been to actually, I think, 29 of the 30 arenas in the NBA. So we're going to cover this from a national perspective, somewhat similar to what we do on Five on the Floor about the Miami Heat. And for that, I'm going to bring in my co-host here, Brady Hawk. You can follow him at Brady Hawk 305. Brady's going to be breaking down film for us through the playback segment. Again, similar to what he does with the Miami Heat, but again, with more of a national perspective. We're going to go over all of the issues that go on during the league. And then we're going to look ahead every single week. So Brady, why don't we do this? We did this a little bit in the first episode, the pilot episode, just something on your background here. And then we'll get to the first segment today. Yeah. As I said before, I can't go as, as deep into a dialogue as you can with background, but uh, I pretty much started uh, and came to you guys in five reasons uh, at 16 writing, podcasting, everything along those lines. I'm now 19. Uh, so I like to focus on the X's and O's side of things. That's just more of, uh, I guess, my side of things that I enjoy doing. So that's what I'll be doing here. That's pretty much pretty much the background. I can't go back to the Pat Riley days because I was pretty much born. You go back to Pat Riley. I say I was born when Haslam joined the team. So or when D-Wade was drafted. So we can uh, that'll be my kind of comparison. I mean, you could be Pat Riley's great-grandchild. Actually, you were born, <laughs> you were born in 2003, correct? Yeah. The year that Dwayne Wade was drafted to the Heat. So if you just need any perspective on this, when Dwayne Wade was drafted to the Miami Heat, changing the fortunes of the franchise, LeBron James was drafted to the Cleveland Cavaliers, Brady Hawk was actually born. So we're going to cover things a little bit differently because one of the things that I've found in running five reasons is that the people who are coming up watching the game now are watching it in a different way than maybe we have previously. And we're not going to be as narrative driven. We're not going to be as based on what the coach says or what the players say, but what's actually happening behind the scenes. So let me get to our first segment today. We're going to do this every single week. It's called first steps. It's just three things that I've noticed in the NBA in the past week and maybe where it'll go. The first one, and you probably noticed this scoring is way up. It's way up around the NBA right now. Take a look at this. 
you have right now in the NBA 11 scorers averaging at least 30 points a game, uh, bottoming out with Kyrie Irving at 30.5. Luka, Giannis, Ja, Donovan Mitchell, we're going to talk about today. Kevin Durant, Trey Young, Damian Lillard, uh, SGA, of course, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, and Kyrie Irving. 11 scorers averaging at least 30, and right behind them, Devin Booker and De'Aaron Fox. So certainly that is up in the NBA. The rule changes that have materialized over the years have played into this. I actually think it's gone too far at this stage. The fact that you can't hand check anybody, anybody can get to any spot on the floor that they want at any time. But the other thing that was interesting about these top 11 is that there are only two guys who have a negative plus minus of the top 11 scorers in the league. They're the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And Durant is a big, big negative. And we might get into the Nets next week. The second one I wanted to get into here is there's been a lot of consternation about certain teams that have gotten off to slow starts. Okay. The Nets are one, the Sixers are another, the Heat are another. I just want to caution everybody a little bit as you look around the NBA, some of the teams that have gotten off to fast starts and just look at the home road splits on this. The Suns and Bucks have hardly played a road game at this point. They both played one road game. So yes, they've gotten off to good starts. These were finalists from a couple of years ago. The Suns had a lot of off-season turmoil but it seems like they're playing pretty well at this stage. But again, take the home road splits into account early in the season. Schedules are a little wonky at this stage. And that's why most people say, and this is a Pat Rileyism, you got to wait 20 games to really see where teams are. And the third thing I want to get into is to me, this is looking like it's going to end up being a two man race for MVP this year. I know that Ja, Donovan Mitchell, uh, some of the other guys are going to get attention here. Of course, if Golden State turns things around, they're three and four. Steph Curry will be in the mix. But to me, it looks like Luka and it looks like Giannis. You look at what the two of these guys are doing right now to start the season. Luka, 50% from the field, 36.7 points per game. His splits are way up across the board, except the three-point shootings at 23% on eight and a half attempts, which is a lot. Giannis, though, averaging so far this season, he's shooting 60% from the floor. He's averaging 34 points in 34 minutes. Okay, they're still keeping his minutes down, but is. Uh, he's averaging 12.4 free throw attempts per game, just 61% from the line. And of course, he's a little quicker than he used to be there, but 14 rebounds. This was a guy when they came, he came in the league, they said he couldn't pass. He's averaging 5.8 assists on the season so far. He's also holding players he's guarded to 32% from the floor. To me, it's looking like Luka. It's looking like Giannis. I think guys like Ja, Donovan Mitchell, and the others will be dark horses. Welcome to the playback where Brady Hawk breaks down two teams from around the NBA, one East, one West, one that's doing well. We call that the high step and one that's not doing so well. We call that the misstep. Let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is a big topic where we live, Brady, because, of course, Heat fans thought that they should have gotten Donovan Mitchell. Danny Ainge looked like he wanted the farm for Donovan Mitchell. I'm not sure that he actually got that, although his team is playing better, I think, than even he anticipated or wanted them to at this stage. But right now, Brady, they're playing extremely well. And Donovan Mitchell has done more, I think, than most people anticipated he would do. All of his numbers are up across the board. He has a higher offensive diet or a bigger offensive diet than he did or menu than he had when he was in Utah. But he's playing with two skilled bigs, pretty good wings, a damn good backcourt mate. Why has it worked so far for Cleveland? Yeah, it's interesting because I think they're definitely getting out to a hotter start than expected. I think the biggest the biggest surprise is the fact that Darius Garland hasn't even played. Like he's doing this in a totally different light in general, and they're still able to find their way. Donovan Mitchell 
uh, as you were going through kind of the points per game stuff, he's averaging 32 a game on 50% shooting. Like that's one thing. The other thing is the fact that uh, he's playing point guard. Like the fact that Garland's not playing, he's playing point guard and his playmaking is way better than it was. Like it has taken many leaps in general, like in his floor spacing. I think it helps that they have decent shooting around them. Uh, speaking of that, they're the, the best three-point shooting team in the league. And it's funny, the two teams that we're talking about today, one's the best three-point shooting team, the other one's dead last in three-point shooting, which kind of tells you where the league is now. Like, that's pretty much is a good tell in general. So uh, the, the other part of this, like, they're a top-five offensive uh, rating. Uh, I think a lot of that is on Mitchell. A lot of that is on the kind of the side shooters. Uh, but the bigger surprise, in my opinion, is that they're a top-three defense. And I know there was a lot of... I kind of talk about Mitchell and, and his ability on the defensive end. I think he's done a lot better defensively in terms of on ball, just being able to keep the guy in front of him. But they have a game plan that works in today's NBA. Like if you look at the Bucks, who are just on another level defensively right now, and they have Brooke Lopez playing in the, that deep drop and they have Giannis also sitting next to him, it's just a totally different game for them because you have Giannis that's able to help off weak side. Uh, you have Brooke that's able to protect, protect the rim at a high level. The Cavs are trying to do that in a lot of ways. Like they're trying to mold that with the the Mobley, Jared Allen uh, kind of front court. I found it interesting when watching the, the Cavs-Celtics game, like they're even doing some of the stuff that the Bucks do where they had Mobley guarding Marcus Smart to start the game because they just had him help off the entire time and had Allen play and kind of force something Mitchell's used to in Utah, kind of funneling things inside a little bit. So I just like their game plan in general. Uh, I think Mobley's a, just a fun player that that has a lot of upside, the stuff. Uh, once again, comparing it to the Heat, like we, we talk about Bam all the time, and I know there was comparisons with him ending in. He's an interesting player because when you put him in like an inverted pick and rolls that allow him to go downhill or he's getting to that mid-range area, like he's, he's hard to stop. Like he's just too big, too lengthy, too skilled to be able to do that type of stuff. And then obviously uh, we touched on Mitchell a little bit, but when you add in the fact that you have Mitchell, who is an elite pull-up threat, and then you could eventually add in Garland uh, and the way Mitchell's shooting it right now, like they're just going to be able to spam high pick and rolls and allow him to operate because simply he's just hitting tough shot after tough shot. Like he started the game uh, last night against the, the Knicks where he had five threes in the first quarter. He had 15 points. I think 28 of the 30 Cavs points where he either scored or assisted on. Like when he's playing at that level, I just don't really know what you're do what you can do with that. I guess when it gets hot in the regular season, so they're going to be a very solid regular season team. So I'm just pretty surprised, and I think it's it's a fun team to watch in general. I'd say. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to touch on Mobley and Allen in a minute because it's a little unconventional from what we saw a few years ago, but just a little bit more on Mitchell here. 
One of the things we talk about a lot is who's a star and who's a superstar. And to me, a superstar is somebody who could be the best player on a championship team. And that is a very short list. If you even look at the last 25 years, the guys who've won championships as the best player on a championship team, there's only like eight or nine of them. Okay. There's LeBron James and there's Kobe Bryant and there's Shaquille O'Neal and there's Dwayne Wade uh, and there's Giannis, right? From a couple of years ago. But and there's Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, whoever you want to declare. It's not a lot of guys. Okay, I mean, for years and years and years, when the Spurs were winning every other year, it was Tim Duncan. Right. Except maybe one year it was Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard has proven to be that guy, too. He did that in Toronto. There's very few guys. But to me, that is the classification of a superstar. If you have the pieces around you, can you win a championship as your team's best player? We're going to see if Luka can do that. Uh, To me. A lot of that has to do with the defensive end with him, okay? Because if he's exploited too much defensively, and I don't think they necessarily have the best pieces around him, uh, then they're not going to win a championship with him there. They may need a significant second star with him who plays differently. But let's get into Mitchell now. Because I have felt like he was below the line, right? Like even when you and I discussed him as a heat possibility, it was like, are you going to give up six, seven first round picks for this guy, he's not Giannis. He's not, we were talking about Durant. He's not Durant. But if he's averaging 30 points on a team that is winning consistently and the ball is in his hands all the time and he's doing this without a young all-star type point guard, and I want to talk about him in a second, can we call Donovan Mitchell a superstar or do we need to see this in the postseason? Because his postseasons are up and down. He's had tremendous postseasons like the bubble where he was virtually unguardable, right? But also, They've flamed out quickly in Utah a lot, and most blamed it on Gobert, probably accurate, but some of it was due to the fact that Donovan Mitchell didn't guard anybody, uh, which put a lot of pressure on Gobert. So is he a superstar? It's tough because I think everybody has their own opinion on what a superstar is in this league and how far you're going to take that bracket out. I personally draw the line pretty short. Like I feel like superstars, as you're saying, if you look back in previous years of who's won championships, it's only been led by superstars. Like there's a there's a very tiny grouping of that where I think Mitchell is a high level star that has the potential to kind of make that next step. Uh, and I think part of that is the postseason. Like once you're able to see him do that on that level, and now you can't blame it on the other stuff that we saw in Utah. Now you actually have a backcourt mate that could consistently uh, create stuff on offense. You have uh, enough defense to go around all the way across the board. And I think the biggest thing is they have depth around them to, to kind of make this work. So I personally would have him a high level star, kind of right on the outside. But what we're seeing right now is pretty dang close. Like, I don't really know if he's able to keep this up consistently. I just don't know how you you stop it if you're an opposing defense because if you're out here, he's he, every pick and roll. If he's sitting there has a pull up threat, he's splitting defenses, getting to the to the rim at a high level. He had a play last night where you like did a split and he did a spin and ended up dunking on the top of somebody. Like that is superstar level play. Can it happen consistently and into the postseason? That's when I guess he'll he'll kind of have that kind of theme over the top of him. Let's talk about the front court and the back court here before we close on Cleveland, and then we're going to get to a much sadder story out west. <laughs> the Garland. Mitchell fit in your view? Because again, Donovan Mitchell has been playing kind of de facto point guard now to start this season. He did some of that in Utah, but then they brought in Mike Conley and the ball was in Mike's hands a lot. Do you think this works? And how, how will they play off of each other? Because Garland was a guy who was, you know, in the playoffs, he was getting 25. Yeah. I think what we're seeing right now from Mitchell as a playmaker, I don't think you want to go away from that completely. Like right when he returns, like you want the ball in his hands a lot of the time. But the thing is, is we know Mitchell is more of a two anyway. Like putting Garland next to him uh, can still work. And like I said, I, I could even think about it when we were talking about Portland before of like the Lillard Simons thing. Like the, just when you have two elite pull-up guys up there that can just hit out of high pick and rolls and be able to create for themselves as well in isolation, 
like it, it can work. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, he played Garland played next to Sexton before, and he played it in a crowded backcourt before where he had to go on and off the ball. So I don't think there'll be many problems there, but I will say when watching Cleveland play, it's almost like, cause Karis Levert, we haven't mentioned, and I'll throw him in the mix. Cause he just had a 41 point game and the ability to be, do what he's doing as a shot creator adds a ton to this team because we kind of expect that I guess Okoro to be in that mix as the starting lineup and seeing what Levert's able to do in this mix is like, they have shot creation all over the place. But I think there's going to be a time where we say when you're able to stagger the two of them, because there's just certain lineups that I'm looking at where it's like Mitchell goes to the bench. And now, like last night, Levert did not play well. And you're like, OK, where's the offense coming from now as shot creation? Uh, and they're kind of using Raul Neto off the bench. And he's kind of having to just kind of use a half court offense. When you're able to kind of mix in the fact that they're able to run stuff through the both of them, through uh, Garland or Mitchell, who's ever on the floor that's when things come a little bit differently. So I think there's enough potential there, and I think it's going to look pretty good, I guess, when he returns. All right, two more quick things on Cleveland here, then we'll close the loop on it, talk Lakers, and then we'll bring our guy Vinny Goodwill on uh, in a couple minutes to go around the rest of the NBA. We talk about, uh, again, the Mitchell Garland fit here. Let's go to the front court, because the, the Mobley fit with Allen seems kind of seamless as long as Mobley continues to develop his game. Yeah, like I said before, I think the defensive stuff stands out because they have a game plan. Like they have something that they can go to consistently. Talked about the fact that they can funnel things in. You have a guy in Mobley that can switch out to the perimeter. You can put him on a guy like kind of your worst short shooter on the other team and say, just play smart, like dip off them when you want. You can be that kind of unlimited tagger. You know, you have Jared Allen on the backside, be able to kind of take advantage of stuff at the rim. Uh, and obviously you can split up the two and the fact that you can, you have two elite to kind of defensive guys on the interior to play around. And I also think it's interesting the way they play offensively because watching the way they play and run offense, like they run so much stuff like that high, low stuff where it's like when you're taking Jared Allen as the high guy uh, and kind of feeding it low to a Mobley type, like there's just, you're basically eliminating the other team's big that's protecting the rim. Like they have such a unique style of play where you're talking about before, shot creators. You have the defensive guys and you have two lengthy offensive players that can do different things around the rim. So uh, I like the fit in general. I think they can do different things now that they have actual shot creators. And I think it just opens everything up for them. I'll tell you this, um, I'm a little higher on their upside than I was before. And when you talk about the shot creation, they're going to get out of the backcourt. So I think back to Portland teams with like Lillard and McCollum, you're talking about Lillard and Simons. But those Portland teams didn't have Mobley and Allen in the front court. <laughs> so... I mean, in some ways, Cleveland has more raw material. They just don't have the experience maybe that that team did, which was a, which was a Western Conference Finals team at one point. Before we go to the Lakers, from what you've seen early in the season, Cleveland looked like they got a shot at a top four seed? Definitely. I think they're a really talented regular season team. We can see what they happens in the postseason in general, but I, I definitely think they have a solid shot. And I did want to mention that when I was talking before about Garland, I was talking about the play-in. All right, we're going to talk about our misstep of the week. I feel like we may end up just naming this the Lakers segment. Like I said, we're going to get into the Lakers here a little bit. Brady's going to start with me, and I'm going to bring uh, Vinny on uh, to talk about a little of this. Vinny Goodwill, you can find him at Yahoo Sports, National NBA writer. Joins us often on Five on the Floor. Let's just start with the circus that's the Lakers here right now. 30th in offensive rating. Here's what I don't understand about this, okay? It's like LeBron doesn't know himself. That, that That's the part of this that makes no sense to me. And having known him covered him up close, home and road, knowing his basketball IQ, knowing the way he used to talk about his shooters all the time, his shooters, his shooters. He sounded like Shaq talking about that when he was in Miami. First moves that they make in Miami, what? They bring in Mike Miller, shooter. Next year, who do they bring in? Shane Battier, shooter. Who do they bring in the next year? Ray Allen, shooter, right? Then they even tried the next year, Richard Lewis, even at that stage of his career, shooter. That's all that they've emphasized here, shooters. They had shooting for Mario Chalmers in the backcourt, right? The only guy who wasn't a shooter was Dwayne. He's a shot maker. 
He goes to Cleveland. They still look for shooters. Okay. Over time, it took some time. They traded out Dion. They brought in J.R. Smith. They brought in more shooting, right? Kyle Korver ended up there at, at some point, right? He understood the premium of shooting. There's no damn shooting on this team. And I, and, and the thing is, they can give Polinka all the extensions of the world and, and claim that he's in charge there, but no, nothing happens unless LeBron signs off on it. We know that, unless it was in Miami, okay? In which case, they never asked him, okay? <laughs> but they knew what to put around him. Ken, I'll, I'll get to Vinny in a second, but Ray, and when you look at what they are offensively, and we'll get to the Westbrook thing next, Okay. How can they, is there even any way for them to put any shooting around him on the floor with what they have? Well, we saw it for the first time last night. They got their first win. They shot 43% from three. But what you saw last night, I just, when you watch it, it's just not sustainable. Like a lot of the stuff you're seeing from them. Uh, you talk about the shooting and the fit with LeBron. The biggest thing that stands out is like their most elite action that they can run is a LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll. Like, how do you stop that? Two elite players, two elite pick and roll players. But the issue is that you look at the opposite side of the floor and it's like, there's Russell Westbrook, there's Patrick Beverly, and there's the two defenders just standing in the lane, clogging everything up for these two to kind of operate. Like, how do you maximize these two in a pick and roll when you don't have shooters? Uh, So the offensive structure is kind of all over the place. The three-point shooting, as I said with Cleveland being at the top of the league, obviously the Lakers were shooting like historically bad from three. Like you have LeBron who's out here, probably your best shooter at this point. Like it's just really just an odd roster construction in general. Uh, You talked about being last in offensive rating. The interesting thing about the way they play is that they're a really good defensive team, actually. Like especially when Anthony Davis on the floor, the way they funnel things in. Anthony Davis has been very good on the defensive end when he's out there. The thing is, they're forcing defense in the offense. Like they're pushing the pace. They're they're number one in transition frequency in general, but in terms of just getting out on the break. The thing is, they're last in points per possession. Like, how do you get on the break number one in the entire NBA, but last in points? Like points they have per no possession. athletes, though. That's the thing. I mean, they're only I mean, right? I mean, their only athlete on the team is is if it was 10 years ago, Russ. Yeah. And, I, and maybe, maybe you can give Lonnie Walker a little bit okay. of that, but it's just like more so the finishing and stuff on the break. I feel like they just don't have any finishers. It feels like. So uh, it's a little bit just of a weird uh, kind of just roster construction in general. Uh, and then the final number I was looking at earlier was like, you talk about the fact that the half court offense, like teams are just going under on every screen because like they don't respect it enough. And then that leads in, like I was looking at pick and roll ball handler, like stats and points per possession. They're dead last in that as well, because they just can't do anything when you're just helping off everywhere else. So they, they have a problem. They obviously got a win last night, their first of the season, but the offensive process just isn't there. And now it's time for the step around where we bring on an NBA writer or media member from somewhere else in the country to fill us on everything that's going on. And we mix in a little rapid fire too. All right. I'm, I'm going to start Vinny uh, the best way I can here. Again, Vinny's joined me many times on five on the floor. This is our step around segment. We start to go around the NBA. Brady's going to stick around here for a minute though, because I just want to get into the Westbrook thing with you. Okay. That's, that's where I want to go with you. That's where I want to start with you. Does it make any difference at this point other than him pouting or not pouting or whatever? And obviously you're waiting on a potential trade, whether it's Indiana Miami has been mentioned. I don't think that's happening. Does it make any difference whether he starts or comes off the bench? If he's playing, then therein lies the issue. I do think there's an element of, shall we say, Ethan support externally, right? Like you saw last night when they played Denver that he was kind of, he kind of had the crowd behind him because, you know, he was displaying a sort of level of effort that came from off the bench that gave the crowd a little little hope, right? Compared to if he was starting and doing that, then it wouldn't, you know, just the optics of it. But Ethan, he's a high volume player 
who can't shoot, can't really defend, and at this stage of his career cannot be an offense unto himself. Call me crazy, Ethan. I was among the people that understood LeBron's logic last year. I understood it because he saw himself aging, especially with that ankle injury that normally he might have you know, missed 10 minutes and then he missed 10 weeks, right? He looked at Anthony Davis and said, Anthony Davis is never healthy. Who can we have on the floor that is a system unto himself? that can eat up minutes and shots and games if we're out and then be able to hand it over to us in crunch time. The part he didn't sort of calculate is that Russell Westbrook's game fell off of a cliff and that those numbers were already inflated to begin with and that we maybe shouldn't have given him that MVP in 2017. Ethan, I'm not sure if you were a voter, but I was, and he was like fourth on my ballot. I refused I was to not give that somebody- year. I take responsibility for the Rose one in 2011, uh, which LeBron may still be angry at me about, but that's okay. 2017, I was not a voter. I don't, you know what? In hindsight, that Rose MVP doesn't look as bad. That team had the best record in the league by far and a great defense. He wasn't the best player. I, th- I think I felt I was a sucker to narratives on that one. Well, I can't believe we're going here. Can I be like a trooper this year? All right. Here's the crazy part. Go look at Dwayne's numbers when LeBron's numbers when Dwayne wasn't playing. Oh, no, there, there's no and question. Du- 2008, 2009 number- is one of the great robberies of MVP history. There's no question. I, I, look, LeBron in a quiet moment would admit that Dwayne was a better player than him in 2008, 2009. Brady, by the way, was five, so he can't speak on this. But 2008, 2009, Dwayne Wade's best year was the second best season in Miami Heat history behind LeBron's 2012, 2013. And there's no question in my mind that Dwayne should have been the MVP that year. He was not because I think they only won 44 games. And and obviously LeBron had a better crew around him, but Dwayne carried that team in a way that even LeBron and Cleveland that year did not have to, but we digress. I made a bad vote. How do we get get here, Ethan? (laughs) I I don't know, but this is turning into the Wayback segment, and I didn't mean to introduce that one on this episode. But anyway, (laughs) let's get back to Russ here because there's there's Look, I think part of the problem with LeBron, and then I want to bring Brady in on one thing here. I think part of the problem with LeBron is LeBron has a vision in his head of who players were particularly Mm. guys that came up kind of in his generation or slightly after. So I know what he thinks of Russ because I used to talk to him about Russ and I know that they were close and their families were close and and all the rest of that. And I I was with him at USA camps where they hung out all the time together. But it's like even with Melo, like the last couple of years, like he gets a certain image in his head of what guys were, but he doesn't project players particularly well. I've noticed that. Okay, and that happened in Miami. It was one of the developmental problems that they had. It was just like, he just wanted guys he was comfortable with because they had pedigree with Ray Allen. It worked out obviously. Okay. Although a lot of people forget Ray was kind of unplayable for, for large portions of his heat career. It got erased by the shot, but I'm just saying generally that's the way that, that he views these things. And I think he saw Russ, like you said, I think he saw Russ as OKC Russ and OKC Russ is dead. So one question on Russ, and then we'll pivot back to both of you guys in the Lakers. Do you think there's speculation he won't be in the league next year? I, I don't I don't think he's going to go the Iverson route, right? Like, I don't I don't think it's going to be that bad. Why don't you think it's going to be that bad? Well, wouldn't somebody I mean, he's not. OK, I'm comparing him to A.I. OK, remember, A.I. Mm-hmm. went to Memphis. They tried to put him on the bench. Remember, he went to Detroit basically because he wanted to gamble. OK, if you recall. I watched him in Philadelphia in his second stint in Philadelphia. And you talk about a guy falling off a cliff. I mean, I, I was I was there in 03 for Dwayne's rookie game, first ever game against AI. He was still a player at that point. He went to Denver. Okay. But when he came back to Philadelphia, I mean, you talk about a shell of himself. He was. Is Russ at that? But he was also difficult. Okay. He was also difficult. He didn't want to come off the bench. Right. 
If Russ embraces coming off the bench, you don't think there's a place for him in the league next year? Okay, okay. What about Russell Russell Westbrook's career to this point would give you the belief that he would embrace coming off the bench if he's hesitant to do it on a team with LeBron James and in his hometown? Like, if you're – just answer me these questions. If you are a contending team, let's say you're a team like Cleveland or Milwaukee or any of those teams that considers themselves in the upper crust of the NBA, would you take on a Russell Westbrook? You you know who would? You know you know who would? Riley who? would. Riley would, but not at that number. Not at that number. <laughs> and, and, and you know Pat, and clearly you know Pat better. And Pat would probably be the one guy. He's the home for wayward souls, right? I get that. I totally get that. Pat is that. But if you're have if you're a serious team with serious designs on winning, I don't see how. Russ not having accepted the state of the career that he's at would be attractive to teams, let alone if you're in a developmental stage, are you taking on Russell Westbrook and he's going to take on the minutes and shots and influence and everything else? I don't Doesn't see how that he works feel like a guy who should finish his career in, in New York? Like he feels like a Nick. Like he he feels like one of those like 34 year old Nicks like that. We forget that the guy played like Steve Francis, right? Like remember Steve Francis was a Nick at the end of his career, but nobody remembers it. There's a whole bunch of there's like a slate of Nicks. All right, so let, let's let's get to the because they don't really have a fan base. We're figuring it out this year. I'm going to go to both of you guys, and I'm going to let Brady go, and then Vinny and I are going to go around the league as we kind of pass the pass the ball around the perimeter here a little bit. Can the Lakers, as currently constructed, make the plan? I'm not talking about the playoffs. As currently constructed, no major move, nobody healed, no Myers Turner, the same shooting on the roster where they're waiting for Kendrick Nunn to become, I don't know. Trey Young, can they make the? Will they make the play? Would they make the plan? Vinny first. Look, when you look at the Western Conference, you're saying Phoenix, you're saying New Orleans, you're saying Memphis, you're saying Minnesota and, and Denver. That's five, right? That's then six, you add man. in, then you add in Dallas. That's six. Then you add in Dallas, Golden State, the Clippers. That's nine. Now, are we assuming that Utah's not going to keep this up? I'm assuming that San Antonio won't. Right. Maybe they sneak in as ten. Maybe that's the it's only way. The Kings, I, isn't it? I, the Kings are one. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe. I don't think the Kings. Is are, it Portland? Oh, it's Portland. Portland. You forgot the Blazers. Okay, well then, and I think Portland is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what Portland does is sustainable because at least they have some level of identity and they've got some wing defenders and they are better constructed. Even if Dame Little isn't the Dame Little, I think at best, at best, they're currently constructed maybe ten, but I would say no. Brady, are they a playing team? And if they are, which of the ten is out? Yeah, you said could they be? I was going to say they could, but they won't. <laughs> like, like they could. They have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like, there's a small chance. But when you look at the teams above them, like, I just can't see that being the case with this roster. Like, I just don't see them fixing what they have offensively. Like you said, with this roster, like yes, they can make moves to kind of be able to fix it. But with this roster, it's really not fixable, in my opinion. Uh, so that's kind of the way I see it. I, and I'm also a believer. I think that those are the nine, and I think. Portland falls into that 10. Even it's not just because of the 5-1 start. I just think they have more talent. Like they do. Which is crazy to me because I look at this Lakers team and it's like they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I'm like, they don't have enough talent to compete, which is kind of wild when you look at LeBron's career and kind of the teams he's been on. I mean, if you look at that roster, and again, not to go way back here, if you took AD off, which at some point you'll do because he's going to get hurt, like the the rest of that team is is not as good as the first Cavs team that LeBron took to the finals when LeBron was a, a different player at that point, 2007. I mean, it was not as good. Like I I, I would rather have Anderson Varejao than some of the other guys that they've got or Big Z, right? Or or I don't know about Booby Gibson, but Booby Gibson would probably help the the, the Lakers. He can, he can, he can shoot. 
Because he, he can, can shoot, shoot back right? down. He, he, he can shoot. Sorry, I, I'm with you. I don't think they're playing team. I, you know what I think is going to happen? I think LeBron's going to shut it down about half. I, he, he's playing for the scoring record at this point. I think after he gets that thing, you're going to see some days off. And that's going to make that's going to make it look worse. But look, he made a decision. Not Look, they won a championship, so it will forever be justified. Okay, what bubble, mm-hmm. that bubble, whatever. But he made a decision, you know, to go out to a place where it really basketball is not his primary focus. It's not. Okay. And, you know, because and it's hard for him to get angry about this team when he in part constructed it. All right, Brady, we appreciate it. Brady will be back next week. We'll give him two more teams to look at. Uh, let's go to the rest of the league here with Vinny. And, and I want to get into some of the other teams that are struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want your perspective on this because we're a little too close to it. Okay. But the Heat are two and five. Um, they're playing a Warriors team on Tuesday night that is three and four at this stage, although they mm-hmm. did just beat Miami with 33 from Curry. Uh, which of the two teams would you be more concerned about? I'm more concerned about Miami only because I'm not concerned about Golden State. I just saw them last night. In, in Detroit. And I talked to Steph for a bit after the game while he was just, you know, walking to the bus and he wasn't doom and gloom and he was making it clear. I don't have to be doom and gloom, but this is a whole new team and I have to project a certain level of confidence and calm. With Miami, my thing is, it's always the BAM question. You know what I mean? When is BAM going to take the step of being this assertive guy to basically take this team over? And I know it's Jimmy's team and it's always going to be Jimmy's team. But if Bam steps up from a personality standpoint and says, this is mine, then that changes the math a little bit. You know what I mean? And if Kyle Lowry's in shape and Tyler Hero is Tyler Hero and you're still not putting it together, then it feels like something is just it's just missing. But a lot of teams early right now, Ethan, are struggling. So I wouldn't go panic. The Clippers are struggling. Utah's good. Oklahoma City is three and three. Like there's a bunch of wonky things happening right now. And you know me, I'm a member of Eric Spolster High. You know what I mean? I might be, if, if I'm not a charting member, I am literally like a, you know, grandfathered in board member to, to Eric Spolster High. I will refuse to believe that the Heat are going to struggle until I see it with my cold, dead fingers. Like, seriously, I, I don't see this. But you also know Jimmy well. Yes. And I've got to know Jimmy a little bit since he's been down here. And two and five starts don't sit well with him. Uh, he, he was... Ultra competitive, and I think three of the games so far. I think in a couple of the others, he's kind of sleepwalked a little bit. Um, but a few of the games, he's looked like playoff Jimmy. But he, here's the issue. And I'm just curious how you think he'll react to this, and then we'll get off the heat because I want I do want to talk Clippers and Nets with you. Okay. Okay. But like my my thing about it is this: Jimmy wanted Kyle. Okay. The Heat mm-hmm. signed Kyle because Jimmy wanted Kyle. They gave Jimmy. They gave Kyle the third year because. Jimmy wanted Kyle. They were in competition with New Orleans, with Dallas, with other teams, Philadelphia for Kyle services. Kyle Lowry is not a $30 million player at this point. Okay. I, I put it to our group internally and they said on the open market, they think he's a $10 million player. That's what yeah. he's playing like to this stage. Okay. The backcourt doesn't seem to fit with him and hero, at least not yet. How do you think Jimmy, and you mentioned Bam's aggressiveness, which is always going to be a thing down here. How do you think Jimmy is going to handle struggles well, the coach he does respect, okay, this time around, but how he's going to handle struggles, particularly when the struggles in part may be his buddy that he wanted in Miami, which restricted their ability to do other things. And now it looks like they're going to be stuck with a Kyle Lowry contract next year, maybe even the second half of this year that just doesn't look very good. It's it's an interesting thing because Jimmy can Jimmy's the type that can, almost like LeBron in a way, that all these things are not mutually exclusive. You know what I mean? Like he can't look at Kyle and say, well, Kyle's not being allowed to be himself because I'm handling the ball a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like 
Kyle is a master at being able to run an offense and being able to distribute and being able to be that sort of slot guy on a release and being able to hit those those catch and shoot threes from the wing. But when Jimmy controls a lot of the offense, because Jimmy is really good at it and he's a low turnover guy, he doesn't see the two things conflicting with each other. If you're asking Jimmy to be aggressive and you're asking Bam to be aggressive and you're asking Kyle to be aggressive and oh, now you got Tyler. And, oh, you you got Gabe Vincent. Oh, you got all these other guys. Like, someone has to naturally take a step back. And for some people, that's not natural for them. So, somehow, I don't think that he looks at the, those two things and says, okay, Kyle is struggling. I got to get him going or I got to take take off a little bit. I wonder if he does that because his answer to everything is just be aggressive. Just be you. Do you. He doesn't take things from people, but he doesn't see that there's only so many shots available in 48 minutes and so many possessions available for someone to do their thing without one thing taken away from someone else. He's also the ultimate contrarian in the league, as you, as you know. If you tell Jimmy, as I did, <laughs> about him being 17th uh, in the ESPN ranking, he will tell you there are 25 guys better than him. But then when a Chicago writer came in the locker room last week and said, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing pretty good for the best player in the world. So it's just what <laughs> whatever you say, Jimmy's going to say the opposite. We've just learned yeah. that. All right, let's get off yep. the heat for a second because I knew it, I do enough of that. I want to talk about two other teams that are struggling because you mentioned there have been some quirky results here early in the season. The Sixers and the Clippers, okay? I thought that the Sixers roster construction was better this year. I am I am not of the belief that P.J. Tucker is going to be the same player for Philadelphia that he was for Miami. Mm-hmm. Because I think Spolster unlocked some things for him that I don't think Doc is going to care to do or, or is going to fit what they do. But we've already got an Embiid injury issue right now, right? I, mm-hmm. I think you and I are both in the don't trust James Harden in the playoffs camp, <laughs> right? Yeah, the Clippers look to me like they have – they're as deep 10 to 12 in talent as any team in the league, but they're relying mm-hmm. on a point guard who's coming back from basically being out two years. Mm-hmm. And to me, Kawhi doesn't look the same as he did. So if I was to say to you, which team, if you were to say right now, which team makes a deeper playoff run? Because they're both going to be playoff teams, regardless of the slow start. The Clippers or the Sixers, you say what? I would always say the Clippers just because I believe in Ty Lue. If I'm a member of Eric Spolster High, I'm definitely a member of Ty Lue High. As far as his, he's the coach, I think it's the Bum Phillips line. He can take yours and beat his and take his and beat yours, that sort of thing. I think Ty Lue is that good of a head coach, but I'm concerned, Ethan, that Kawhi Leonard's having not necessarily how he's playing, but the fact that he's not available yet. Like, like you would think that after missing, you know, an entire season and he didn't play, you know, I think he got hurt in June. So that's almost, you know, 18 months or at least 16 months of basketball inactivity plus the surgery and everything else. We know the ACL is a pretty serious injury, but it feels like there's something not quite right there. And maybe it is a degenerative thing. And you've seen that while you've seen that, Ethan, you can play Paul George as your number one guy and he can take you places. That team is built around Kawhi Leonard to be great and not to wear down Paul George over 82 games. I'm a little more concerned about the Clippers than I was maybe two weeks ago. I thought they were going to make the conference finals. You never saw me believe in the Philadelphia 76ers for a number (laughs) of reasons. Okay, number one, I I don't believe in Daryl Ball. All right. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? I and and the and the fact that watching Joel and B play defense last week, I think it was against Toronto, where he was always in the right spot but never contested, that seemed to be a bit off-putting to me, whether that's a hurt or a lack of sort of want to or like 
well, not I won't say pouting, but if James Harden is controlling 85% of the offense because James Harden has to look like James Harden again, we know where that gets you. So I don't know why they're going so hard into leaning into James Harden when he's not the guy that he used to be. And you've got Joel Embiid, who doesn't look very happy right now. Yeah, that's my concern with them, is that they, they always end up imploding. And to me, I th- I think Maxi is the guy that they should be turning the backcourt over to. But He's you know the second gonna, best player on the team, right? I agree with you, but uh, but that's not the way it's going to play out because of ego situations. We know that. All right, we're going to do some rapid fire here with Vinny right. again. This is our, this is our first uh, step around uh, segment that we're doing right now. If I was to say to you the dark horse championship contender right now, the one that nobody's talking about, because I think there are. I think there are eight to 10 teams that could get in the mix this year. I don't think there's anybody that's dominant. The Dark Horse Championship contender that's not getting enough attention. Well, I say, would it be wrong of both of us, considering how much we don't like this city, to say Cleveland? Oh, please. Well, we just did a whole segment on it. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to be allowed back now because I, before I wasn't, <laughs> but they may let me in the door. And I don't know that I actually want that. But, <laughs> but I spent a year of my life there walking through the blizzard. I mean, you you think that they because I mean Brady likes him. We just we just talked about him. I mean, they, they have a really nice mix. I like the coach. I just they have they have a go to player. We know that. Although reality is that go to player, you know, they never won anything in Utah. So he was the go to player there too. But but you really think they can make that deeper run? Well, if you're saying dark horse, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like if I'm not picking if I'm not picking Milwaukee or Miami or Boston, then the next team that I would pick would be Cleveland. In part, in part because I think Evan Mobley is that good. Mm-hmm. And I think if they turn that team over to him at some point or give him some ownership, it'll pay dividends. I think, and I've said it before, i say it again, I think Evan Mobley is Tim Duncan. It's just on us to figure it out. And when you've got Tim Duncan on your team and you run stuff through him, you're going to be really great for a long time. Best player that's going to be traded before the deadline. Ooh! How about best player to be released before the trade deadline? How about that one, Ethan? All right, go for that. Go for that. <laughs> Why is Kyrie Irving still employed by the Brooklyn Nets? It's a good question. It's a good question. But 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 how but how does but how does that work though? I mean, what are they going to buy him out? You think he, you think Joe will just pay him to go away because he doesn't want him? Yeah, because every every day he endorses another offensive book. Like I what, what are, <laughs> Kyrie's timing is impeccable, right? Like like basically basically put out an Alex Jones video the same week that Alex Jones is being ordered to pay nine hundred million dollars okay to grieving families you know he's you know what let's talk about Kyrie for a second okay because I encountered Kyrie for a year in Cleveland is this Mm -hmm. an act at this point no I you know what I think it is I think when you were with him the one thing people could say is that he means well right even if he didn't have the best methods and the best way of executing you know his intention you could always say he means well he's not 24 years old anymore he's not a child he's not naive he knows the power of his words. He knows that he's going to start some things, set some fires. And he's the type that wants all the influence and none of the responsibility and none of the accountability. And he will literally watch some, as something is burning and hold it and douse it with kerosene and then say, I didn't do that. Why aren't you paying? Why are you paying attention to the fire? Why are you not paying attention to you know my intentions? No, I don't think it's an act. I think it's willful. I think it's dangerous. And I think he's got to be very, very careful about taking yet another step because this step might be the furthest worst step that he could have taken in addition to, you know, vaccine and from misinformation and everything else or, or his two week staycation uh, after the riots at the Capitol. You know, like this is like greatest hits, Ethan. At some point, you're going to ride and get out of jail. But, but he cars. wouldn't just be OK. If you're going to I don't think this is ever going to happen. If you're going to release the players averaging 31 a game. 
Okay. What's their record, Ethan? I know. I understand that. But you're not just talking about a guy who is that would be like the biggest player to be released this year. It literally the biggest release in NBA history. When has a player been released or bought out playing at averaging 30? That hasn't. I mean, again, AI had declined significantly by that. And, and, you know, and see the difference to me between AI and Kyrie, even though their games are more similar than I think, you know, pretty much any two players that you can look at there. Right. uh, Stylistically. But the difference is AI was authentic. He is who he is, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I think I think it's an act with Kyrie at this point. I, I just I think it's an act. I, I think I, the same people think it's an act with Kanye West. Okay, well that's true. But people say things about Kanye West they don't say about Kyrie. Also, that's true. I mean, nobody nobody has made the mental health kind of comments or regarding Kyrie. They do with Kanye. That that's that's a difference. Part of it is context. I think part of it is being a you know a music celebrity versus a professional athlete there are different norms in the way that you speak about certain things it's not as much of a tmz culture obviously as as you know so i think it is different a little bit that way but yes i mean they're they're moving into the same camp here all right two more rapid fire we're we're, we're gonna do this for real we're gonna do this for real okay first coach to get fired is oh oh don't do that You gotta, you gotta prep me for such things. Oh man! What's your relationship with Tibbs? Oh, that was my guess before the season. Tibbs isn't going to get fired, right? I mean, are they? Are they? Are they? Are the Knicks? Are the Knicks a playoff team? They're play-in team. They're play-in. They're at least they're they are at least a play-in team. I mean, put it like this: if we're talking about coaches and everything else. Like Philadelphia, would you say that? Would you say Daryl and this short, this slow start and everything else? Like, wouldn't that make, wouldn't that make Daryl sort of look at Doc, considering Doc came in first mm-hmm. and Daryl didn't hire him? And I've heard that they've gotten really close and everything else. But so it's going to be Mike, basically. It's going to be Mike. It'll be D'Antoni. Um, yeah, it could Probably. be right. <laughs> <laughs> don't quote me. You know what I mean? Like, don't aggregate. No, but me. I, I, I mean, I mean, that would make sense. You're right. I mean, Daryl didn't. Daryl and Doc have never seen like they're cut from the same cloth. Doc exactly. is old school with the way he handles players, the way he handles analytics. I, it, it's never seemed like a fit to me. It just seemed like okay, the best. He was there already, and he's the best available name, and that's it. And Doc returns his rental cars probably on time at airports compared to Daryl. He also doesn't create international incidents. No, it doesn't cost a league of doesn't cost a league a billion effing dollars. That's true. Well, but, but his like his his likes on Twitter. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's let let sorry. All right, let let's get let's get to the final thing here. Let's All get right. to the final. <laughs> You're going to give me in all type of trouble. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, I can't get in trouble anymore. All right, so let, let, let's let's close here. And again, we appreciate uh, both Brady and Vinny joining us here. You can follow them. It's Vince Goodwill, right? I do this with you yeah, every single yeah, time you yeah. join me. Uh, from Yahoo and, and and thanks for our first step around segment here. But I'll I'll just I'll just go to this one. Uh what game does LeBron shut it down? Ooh. Okay, so now you got me looking at the schedule. I'm uh-huh. I'm gonna pull, pull up the Lakers schedule. He's supposed to break the scoring record in probably was it late January, roughly? Late January early that that's if he that's if he plays all the games, right? Mm-hmm. So and if the Lakers are out, then I will say let's see, I go to say Aquaron. Does he shut it down after the Knicks game? They play oh, yeah. was that, is New it in New York? York? Is it in New York? It's in they play Brooklyn, they play New York. Oh yeah, yeah. Jan- yeah he'll Jan- play those but it's two. January. 
but it's January 31st, so it could be the time that he actually breaks the record. He, you know what? If he, if there's a shutdown, Ethan, he doesn't do it until after the All Star break. He's going okay. to go to All Star and he's going to bask in everything of being the new king at All Star in uh, Salt Lake City. And then it'll be right before they go play Sacramento that he just shuts it down for the season, and that 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 that'll be the that'll be the end of it. All right, we, you know we got through a whole thing without talking about your Bulls, and that's fine. That's uh, fine. Or, that's or, fine. Or or, 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 your, or your Pistons, because those are the two. That's I fine too. That's fine too. <laughs> Follow at Vince Goodwill. We're going to be here every Monday on the Step Back. Also, check out our Twitter account, the underscore Step underscore Back. Going to give Brady two teams. He's going to get in the basement right now and start working on two teams from next week. And yes, I did an entire segment devoted to something good happening in Cleveland. That is never, ever going to happen again. I don't need to stay at the nine another day in my life. Vince, we appreciate it. Vinny, Vincent, Vince, whatever. Thanks for joining. You you will never call me Vince a day in your life, Ethan. That's correct. (laughs) See you guys. (laughs) When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.